Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. And you're now tuned to Future Sense here on BayFM with my co-host, Steve McDonald. Good morning, Steve. Hi, Nick. Lovely to see you here this morning. You've been away for a few days. We'll get to that shortly. We will. Yes, and a great pleasure to welcome back to the studio our special guest for about third or fourth time, I think, uh, Dr. Stephen Booth. Thanks, Nick. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Lovely to see you. Stephen, Mr. Booth, Boothy as we like to call him at times, is a doctor of Chinese medicine, uh, acupuncturist, uh, esoteric acupuncturist, transpersonal acupuncturist, and a man with a, a lot of experience in a lot of those areas. And we'll be talking a lot about energy today in a different way, particularly with regard to where we've all been uh, partly over the last four days. Uh, these two blokes over here for the whole time, me for half of it. And that's been at the United in Compassion Australian Medicinal Cannabis Symposium in Tweed Heads, an extraordinary event, really, in so many ways. So we're going to be covering a lot of ground to do with this extraordinary plant today um, and starting probably with a little bit of history, I think, Steve, because uh, a lot of people know the history, but we, we probably all of us, even though we thought we knew a fair bit about this plant, uh, I think we all discovered a huge amount at this conference. We did. I, I didn't realise history goes back so far, and yeah. I've been searching for a slide with the with the detail of it, and have been unable, unable, sorry, unable to find that. But uh, some of the speakers were saying that um, certainly the history or evidence of human and the cannabis plant interaction goes back as, as far as recorded history, yeah, and uh, and even beyond, you know, uh, written history. Yeah, Shangnong in China in 2700 BC was the first uh, recorded written history. Well, that's yeah. that's five, nearly 5,000 years ago. That's mm. pretty good. It yeah. is, yeah. And, and apparently, like, there's just there's material evidence, you mm. know, of uh, cannabis being found in campsites and those sorts of things. Mm. It goes back even further, yeah. thousands of years. Mm. And there's so much in, of course, for many people in this area, many of our listeners, no doubt, uh, everybody's very familiar with this particular plant to one degree or another. But we're going to be talking today particularly about medicinal cannabis and uh, some of the incredible chemistry, uh, the bi- the microbiology uh, and the neurobiology of our cells, which uh, connects through the endocannabinoid system in our bodies. We'll talk about that a bit. We'll talk about the communi- communication networks. We'll talk a little bit about opioids. We'll talk a little bit about something called the entourage effect, which we discovered a kind of obvious thing in one sense, and yet uh, perhaps a little bit of a, a, a telltale sign of bellwether at this time in human history. We'll talk a little bit about the medical applications and for things like uh, epilepsy. We'll talk a bit about regulation, legality and the politics of such uh, drug testing and so forth. We'll talk also about uh, the quality of soils and so forth and uh, and how we grow these plants and many others. Lots of stuff to talk about here. Yeah, and as we covered on a previous show, cannabis has played a very big role in the change process as this uh, new paradigm has gradually rolled out in various waves of change most notably back in the 60s and 70s, of course. And uh, something that we found very, very interesting is the emergence of new paradigm science. So science that's taking a network-centric, humanistic perspective on discovery, which is very, very fascinating. And we had uh, many a giggle 
as we noted, the, the language and the concepts being presented there and how they fitted with Graves' layer six. Very true. Yeah. And uh, before we move on today and play a track, before we launch into this discussion between the three of us this morning, um, great congratulations to Tamara Smith from the Greens, who's not only held the seat of Ballina, but also increased her majority slightly there. So that well done. It is the case, though, that overall, of course, uh, for those of us who are somewhat more left-leaning, the result of the New South Wales election is possibly not what we uh, not what we hope for. Uh, Gladys Berejiklian is back as uh, Premier and uh, possibly with a, a workable majority. That's still yet to be determined. Uh, the Greens actually dropped 1% of their votes statewide. I think that's an interesting thing. And why? Well, uh, perhaps Sydney uh, keeps Sydney open and other smaller parties took some of that vote. That's probably true, but I think there's a there's some things to be learned from uh, what people actually are focused on at this time. But congratulations to, to Tamara, and certainly it's a vote for the environment uh, up here in this region. Clearly, where we are in a bit of a bubble, and it's a good bubble, but uh, yet to extend that uh, those concerns a bit wider, sort of to the place where they possibly should be in our experience. But we're getting there. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. And uh, the recreational use of cannabis, of course, has been going on for a very, very long time too. And um, most people now are pretty familiar with the use. If you haven't tried it yourself, you certainly know people who have and you know something about it or you have a particular judgment or an idea about it. But the medicinal use of cannabis is something else and of course they cross over somewhere but today we're talking particularly about the medicinal use of cannabis down through time and the current state of uh, affairs with regard to that here in this country and we do seem to be lagging behind pretty much everywhere else on the globe with regards to medicinal cannabis despite uh, the protestations or the uh, or the uh, the ideas that might be um, given to us by our pollies uh, who govern us at the moment as, as if to say that we actually have a regimen here in this country which is leading edge. Clearly that's not true. That's one of the things I learned from the United in Compassion Medicinal Cannabis Symposium. Um, but of course, as Steve alluded to earlier, the medicinal use of cannabis goes back a very long way. So we're going to do a little bit of a, a coverage of some of the history just to update and have a bit of fun with that as well. Yeah, uh, you're the expert, Steve, in history. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, Nick. <laughs> I'm, I'm delighted to be appointed the expert in history. Yes, you um, are. But, uh, as I was saying just before the break, uh, I, I haven't uh, been able to track down the slide that I saw on the weekend, which sort of mm. gave the key dates for you know particular milestones with of human interaction with uh, the cannabis plant. But as um, Dr. Booth was saying before, we know that from Chinese history. Yeah, Sheng Nung in... Uh, 2700 and something BC was the first uh, person to write down the, the use of medical cannabis. Yeah. Um, since then, we've had continuous use um, in varying uh, ways, except for the last 80 years, there's been a bit of a blip. Well, that's the key, isn't it? The, eight, the last 80 years, I mean, that was very key from the 5,000 years or so of history that was presented at the conferences as a sort of a bit of a backdrop to the discussion of, of cannabis and clearly just the last 80 years beginning in the US uh, with, a, with a, a concerted effort to bring down this substance for political and economic reasons clearly. Yeah, one of the slides that I do remember from the weekend was just talking about the fact that uh, there's a need to overcome around about 110 years of propaganda uh, and uh, particularly uh, noting the actions in the US around about the, the early 1900s mm-hmm. uh, where there were crackdowns initiated against cannabis use and the imposition of a, a marijuana tax 
early on. And most of those things seem to be racially oriented. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it was a time where um, Chinese and other immigrants were coming into the US and uh, creating tension socially, I guess, and the authorities saw the need to try and dampen down their social impact somehow. And one of the ways of doing that was to restrict the drugs that they enjoyed. And of course, the, the rise of jazz uh, via the African-American population in particular. And Louis Armstrong was an advocate of uh, using cannabis and got into quite a lot of trouble himself. That's right. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to remember who the quote was from. It might have been, uh, there's a, there was a, a notorious character called Anslinger who was a legislator early on in the US. You've got some information. Yes. Well, well, he has uh, post-World uh, War II Anslinger who had testified in the 1930s that cannabis could turn a person into an irrational, vicious, mad dog killer who would engage in explicable, in inexplicable violence. Uh, now, in '48, he testified that cannabis or marijuana, as it was referred to, led to pacifism and caused the cannabis com- consumed to be an easy mark for leftist propaganda and, be- <laughs> and become a commie dupe. That's right. And that, that kind of... Which is true. Uh, that kind which, of- which, which one? <laughs> That kind of 180-degree flip has been fairly common uh, in, uh, you know, the government spin that's been put on cannabis over the years. Um, and as many of the speakers pointed out, the, the, if we look at the, the full spectrum of human history, the, the norm has been a very close human relationship with the cannabis plant, and it's only been the last 80 to 100 years or so that that's been a, quite an anomaly. And, and so... Um, most people don't look at you know the full length of history and consider that, and they think that oh, well, this is some new thing that people are trying to you know uh, introduce to society. But in fact, it's a very, very, very old mm. plant that we've had great use of for a long, long time, and and it's just been interrupted that use for a short period of time in in a relative sense. And in the future, looking back at this time, it probably won't be looked on favourably. Not at all. I'm sure. Mm. I'm sure. And uh, it might be worth just uh, explaining to. Uh, our listeners to what the United in Compassion yes. event was all about and, yes. and it was started I think the first event was in 2014 in yes. Tamworth this is the fourth one this year I think yeah, yeah. and uh, the driver has been uh, Lucy Hall- uh, Haslam, Haslam who's done yeah. a, an amazing job and uh, her personal story is that uh, she is married to a, a retired policeman who was actually a, a drug cop for many many years uh, and their son Dan uh, was diagnosed with cancer um, and uh, he turned to cannabis, medical cannabis, to, to treat his symptoms um, and found great relief from that. And it, I guess it, uh, it brought uh, a change of mind to, to Lucy and her husband, um, who, you know, both have quite conventional backgrounds. Yes, they've been very, they were very against. We had Lucy on our show last week on the yeah. phone and uh, they were very against marijuana generally on mm-hmm. principle yeah, at Lucy that time. Lucy was a nurse as well, wasn't she? she? Was That's right. Yes. And there were representatives yeah. from yeah. the um, New South Wales Nursing and Midwives Association mm-hmm. there on the weekend in support. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so their personal story led them to be, become um, such powerful advocates and clearly she has an enormous amount of respect amongst all these uh, world world leading scientists and researchers in this area that the, the job that she's done in bringing this issue to the fore and hopefully uh, accelerating where we're at in Australia because as I said before we're actually incredibly behind here in this country which is a uh, a sad tale of, uh, and not the only place in uh, research that we're behind. Yeah, we might we might look at some of the potential reasons for that yeah. l- later on. But um, this being the fourth event, I mean, Lucy has uh, got a, a global reputation now as a mover and shaker in this field uh, in Australia, and she's been able to attract some amazing people from around the world 
for this most recent event, uh, including people like Dr. Ethan Russo, uh, who's a, a board-certified neurologist, psychopharmacology researcher and director of research and development at the International Cannabis and Cannabinoids Institute in the USA. And uh, I think he spoke every day, and his talks were an amazing uh, array of uh, up-to-date information about mm. cannabis research and the use of cannabis. Uh, another interesting speaker was Dr. Deddy Mary from Israel, principal, principal investigator, Technion Israel Institute of Technology from the Laboratory of Cancer Biology and Cannabinoid Research, and they're doing some really leading edge stuff in Israel. I, I was blown away. You know, I, I don't normally go to scientific conferences as such, um, and uh, I was delighted to see the complexity of the science that was being presented and how it really had a lot of it is moving beyond the, the modern scientific industrial paradigm into mm. new paradigm science. Mm. Which very is, high caliber, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very And, and exhibiting all of the properties that, that we know human consciousness is adopting in mm. this new layer that's emerging, you know, of network-centric thinking, looking very closely at the relationships between things and not just the material aspects of the things themselves. Indeed. Um, very, very interesting stuff. Yes, well, we all saw that analogue of the change process in the relationship to the plant and the research that's going on to this particular plant. And, of course, there's so many amazing plants on this planet, um, but cannabis does seem to be somewhat unique, well, very unique in many ways besides uh, the applications that we know it for, both recreationally and medicinally so far. Uh, the actual complexity of the plant really blew me out, and most people would be familiar, of course, with THC and CBD, uh, some of the phytocannabinoids in the plant. There's uh, currently 144 phytocannabinoids cannabinoids that they've identified in the plant, which is a, it's a lovely number, isn't it, Stephen? We do like that it's number too. Kind of my favourite number, 144, a bit of a magic number there, part of the Fibonacci series and other things. They may find others, but I, we both kind of got twigged by the fact that there's 144 of them. Yeah, and so many um, other chemicals in there that are useful, yes. terpenes and terpenoids. The terpenes and terpenoids, an extraordinary, uh, and I didn't know anything about this, and for those who don't know, very uh, a layman's take on that, the terpenes and the terpenoids are the, the chemicals, the molecules, which actually create the uh, the aroma and the particular mm. characteristics of a flowering plant. And, and have very strong medicinal benefits on, on their own. On you know, their there own. was that uh, Kimura et al. 95 study that showed limonene um, was very effective in treating severe depression. And actually after mm. a, a week of ambient exposure, just pumped into the air, mm. that seven out of 12 participants in that small study mm. um, no longer classified themselves or no longer were be able were able to be classified with severe depression. And that's essentially, folks, just the fragrance of lemons. Yes. Lemoning is in those citrus fruits and, and other places um, and also in uh, in cannabis as one of the, the terpene profiles mm -hmm. and it has a direct effect uh, on depression. So get out your essential oils. Get out your essential oils. This is really the, the basis of aromatherapy mm -hmm. we sort of were given to the other day. I, I, I suddenly realised with this chemistry around terpenes. But you can actually adjust the terpene and the terpenoid profile along with the CBD, THC profile in a plant uh, in order to get specific effects yes. for specific people. And the reason that's possible is because of the endocannabinoid system. Mm. And, and because of the complexity as well, your individual makeup of your receptors uh, will affect the uh, what the plant does to you. Yeah. And so the same plant might do different things to different people. So it's really that N of one medicine mm. 
but also using the, the uh, very complex makeup of, of the plant and the way that yeah. the cannabinoids and the terpenes work together to create a, a larger effect than um, any of those com compounds individually. Indeed. Yeah. And the, the number of different compounds in the plant, yeah. like, I, you know, I'd, I'd heard bits and pieces in the past, and cannabis has never been an area that I've really delved deeply into from a scientific point of view, but, it, you know, there were, I, I think they were saying there are, as far as we know so far, 500 plus different yeah. compounds in the plant, which is you know, much, much more than I than I thought, yes. which makes it an extremely complex uh, medicine. Mm. Very, very interesting. Indeed. And, and you mentioned uh, briefly just then N of one medicine. That was a term mm. that came up over the weekend too. And it's this idea of um, customizing medicine to each individual mm. rather than just having a, a blanket approach. As, as a Chinese medicine practitioner, that's something that we're very interested in is that individualization of treatment. Actually, there are many parallels with Chinese medicine. Um, you know, one of the primary uses of medicinal cannabis is for pain. Um, pain's a $55 billion industry in Australia. Um, so that, that's a big effect. Mm. And also the fact that people will seek out what works. Yeah. Um, regardless of uh, current research and what's being supported. And, yes, there's one quote on the f one of the panels on the second day there with uh, a woman quote just saying, a mother quote just saying, mothers, uh, caring mothers don't lie, mm -hmm. referring to the fact that if you have a, an experience, even if you're going against the law, you've grown your own to access some CBD from somewhere because you can't damn well get it, mm -hmm. and it's actually having an effect on your sick child or your sick yes. brother or whatever. You know, a mother's not going to, well, there is no reason why a mother's going to lie about the effect, uh, efficacy no, of this plant. For well to be a works. child, you'll use it, right? Absolutely. And, and mother's uh, mother's milk contains endocannabinoids itself, so there's yeah. You uh, you mentioned the fifty five billion dollar uh, industry mm. in in, in uh, pain management in Australia, and that fifty five billion dollars is also a figure that's quoted to do with the opioid uh, industry in Australia. It's yeah, the same that's figure where it came from, uh, because that's what we treat most pain with mm. in Australia currently is the legal pharmaceuticals, uh, the opioids, of which Australia in Tasmania apparently grows some ninety five percent. We looked it up earlier this morning, which oh, is almost... Of the, the C-Bane variety. Of a certain variety. Yeah, mm. we, which is used to make uh, medicines like Oxycontin. Oxycontin. Yeah, which is a, a kind of a new breed of semi-synthetic uh, mm. opioids. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Opioids are the highest cause of death in prescription medications as well. Should, Indeed. Should add that in there, and we all learnt uh, amazingly that the, uh, the opioid system in the body, which receives those opioid drugs, pharmaceuticals that have been created, uh, and the endocannabinoid system, which we'll come back to shortly, uh, related somewhat. And in fact, uh, the use of medicinal cannabis for an opioid user, particularly someone who's addicted to opioids, there's a fantastic research of the, uh, the very quick and safe uh, uh, minimization of the use of opioids when cannabis is introduced. So the two can work together. Yeah, great. And synergy. opioids can actually drop down and perhaps even vanish out of a person's uh, need to use them because they're getting the same effect from the cannabis. This is this is pretty extraordinary, but of course very threatening for the pharmaceutical industry. And yeah, uh, you is, have to argue yeah. for our governments here and, and feeds into the equation about how we're approaching this in a regulatory and political manner at this time uh, slowly. Yeah, one, one of the scientific studies that was presented uh, was looking at the combination of medical cannabis and opioids for pain relief. And they found that very small doses of each, uh, doses so small that if given individually as either an opiate or um, medical cannabis, neither would be effective. But in combination, those two very small doses can provide effective pain relief, which is really interesting. Yes. And they used the, or uh, they were using the term um, opioid sparing, 
mm. where in combination with medical cannabis you could uh, massively reduce the dose mm. yeah and the safety as well the safety profile of, of cannabis seems to be um, much more favorable than of, of opiates of course mm. yeah, absolutely yeah. yeah and we'll come back to the safety profile because of course many people talk about uh, issues such as uh, the testing roadside testing uh, for marijuana use for thc in, in the system and that's a contentious issue we'll come back to talking a bit about that today as well and some of the suggestions about how we can more intelligently approach um, uh, that particular topic to especially in this era of uh, pill testing. Uh, the, the conference, by the way, was uh, hosted by, emceed by, and uh, presented on Thursday by the wonderful Dr. David Caldicott, Irishman, uh, incredibly funny chap, incredibly intelligent, and uh, himself kind of in the front line at the moment, as you would be aware, as the commentator often on uh, the pill testing issue in particular at the moment. He's been one of the main drivers of the pill mm. testing uh, issue yeah. in Australia. Yeah, and uh, amazingly, I think he got uh, the first uh, legal trial of pill testing happening in the ACT at the yeah. Groove in the Moon Festival. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate and spiral up. You are tuned to Future Sense. It's 9.41 here on Bay FM and we're talking cannabis today. And we are. A bit of a joke here and there for the, some of the songs. Uh, that was What If God Smoked Cannabis, which was from Bob Rivers, although that was clearly not Bob Rivers uh, singing there. But uh, the, the joke aside, we're talking some serious science here as well. And uh, let's delve a little bit into the endocannabinoid system. Yeah, this is the one, uh, you know, perhaps the biggest surprise that I got over the weekend was just uh, understanding how... Um, much that you know the endocannabinoid system uh, has an impact on our, our body generally and, and mm. you know the fact that it's spread right throughout the body i mean I, I only like most people out in the general public i'd heard little bits and pieces about the fact that we've got cannabinoids that are naturally occurring in our body and you know they, they're in uh, mother's breast milk and those sorts of things mm. and I, but i just didn't grasp how important this system is to our body and what a massive impact it has on the body yes it's uh, it's so it's spread right throughout the body and uh, it plays different roles in different parts of the bodies in different tissues and things uh, i think one of the the functions that was most commonly discussed on the weekend was uh, the, in the nervous system how where you've got two nerve cells talking to each other through a synapse uh, and the the process of uh, electrical and chemical signals being sent across the synapse and it's actually the um, the endocannabinoid system which moderates the strength and duration of the signals the chemical signals so uh, you know one side of one nerve cell will release something like glutamate or some you know mm. neurochemical that's a, like a messenger molecule that's mm. traveling across and sending a message to the to the next nerve cell and then once that there's been an adequate um, reception of the, the actual message it's then the endocannabinoid system which swings into play and sends cannabinoids back across the synapse to the origin of the signal saying okay that's enough mm-hmm. um, very very interesting mm-hmm. indeed it's a complex modulation system as well it's not just an on and off switch no it's that's like right a, um, thermostat or, that, that's or, right yeah, yeah and one, one of the um, presenters you know put a picture of a light switch up and it yeah. says this is not how the endocannabinoid system works mm-hmm. it's not just on and off and then he had a picture of a of a uh, rheostat, you know, like a dial yeah. that could be adjusted to, you know, finally. Uh, and and yeah. so the the overall uh, role of this endocannabinoid system seems to be um, homeostasis, homeostasis yeah. in the mm. body, which which means um, it's balancing and evening things out and keep, keep keeping things uh, mm. as they should be. Mm. Exactly, exactly, and that is a very very strong theme of 
the consciousness shift that's underway globally at the moment. We're at a global scale, we're moving from this old, modern, scientific, industrial way of thinking and being human, which was really driven by uh, this need to be successful at an individual mm. level, and the, the modus operandi was to push the limits, so taking everything to the extreme. And one of the natural evolutionary kind of um, responses to that has been, okay, that's enough of that now. Uh, we need to moderate you know our action society so it's like uh, this paradigm shift globally is replicating the action of the endocannabinoid yeah, so system the endocannabinoid on system is it, a adaptive um, balancing exactly kind of exactly system. so it's yeah. like it's like uh, and the you know the cannabis plant has has swelled up and made its presence more known in society and its impact is to stabilize and slow things down yeah and, chill out folks just uh, chill out and of course system. this is exactly you know what we're seeing in the human response to the scientific industrial era it's okay with you know too much mm. stop it <laughs> slow down you know we've, we've made some amazing uh, breakthroughs and which we've we've you know moved forward rapidly in terms of technology our capacity to travel and communicate and all these sorts of things amazing progress now we just need to chill out and slow down and actually integrate all of those things that we've you know all this new technology work collectively, work collectively with the you know like the endocannabinoid system works collectively with this um, the terpene profiles of the plants that yeah. uh, create uh, different effects and uh, more than they would individually. Yeah, that's right, and it, and it plays a key role in allowing the different parts of the body to talk to each other, right? Mm -hmm. And, and uh, another thing that I learned on the weekend is this communication between uh, cell receptors, which I'd really never heard of before. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, if you're not familiar with biology folks, you know, the, if you imagine a cell in the body and on the outside uh, on its uh, membrane, there are a whole bunch of little receptors which are there to be able to receive messages in the form of uh, mm -hmm. ligands or chemical messengers, chemical compounds, um, and different types of messages carry uh, different types of compounds. Rather, carry different messages for the cell, yeah. and the and the cell can have many, many different uh, types of receptors on it. And so, it's getting a um, a combination of different messages, and it's mm -hmm. then it's not just a matter of like receiving a single message, no. but it's, it's, it's very, not a telegram. It's it's a, a complex. It's communication a complex communication system. Lots yeah, of information going through. Yeah, yeah exactly. And and uh, these endocannabinoids play a very critical role in that. Mm -hmm. And so, there, you know, this is. Uh, massive um, similarity between what's happening to consciousness on a global scale mm. where we've been through this crazy active period of the modern scientific industrial it's been amazing I mean we've developed all this incredible technology which allows us to you know mm. speak on the radio around the world and uh, have podcasts and those sorts of things uh, and now uh, just in the natural flow of things it's time to actually slow down come together speak to each other take stock of what we've achieved during that era and integrate it because if we just keep running the way that the modern scientific industrial era ran yeah. then we're going to burn out and blow out yeah. and of course that is happening on a, on a small scale in, in various parts of the world to various people it's interesting too with what you're saying of course is this this period that we're moving out of uh, is also characterized as you're suggesting by in one word reductionism going in and splitting things up to understand them and as you said steve this has created a huge a number of advancements in technology and a lot of what we're doing now today is a result of that ability to take things apart and understand them but now cannabis seems to be 
actually a very good example of how that understanding on a, on a reductionist level, taking this plant apart and understanding it in this way and now actually bringing it back together and seeing that this is a whole, a whole network system in this plant which then networks the human body and beyond in this way. So it is a, it's a, an amazing analogue for this time, as you're, as you're saying. It is, and, and really the perfect medicine. Um, you know, I mean, I see human progression through the paradigms and through these layers of consciousness as a very natural process and, and it has its patterns where it swings towards individuality and changing the world and then back towards community and changing ourselves. It's all part of a natural rhythm. Um, but some folks, you know, particularly who are who are very much in the paradigm shift themselves. I mean, the natural human response is to reject the old and to you know highlight the new. Uh, and uh, you sometimes you hear people even saying that the old way, the modern scientific industrial way, is a sickness that we need to, mm. we yes. need to cure. You know, and if you did want to take that particular perspective, then cannabis is like the perfect medicine. <laughs> it's a cure for the modern scientific industrial mind. That's good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's that entourage effect as well, which is, is that uh, communal effect of the chemicals. Mm. Yeah. That's right, yeah. So um, This was a, a, quite a big aha moment for all of us, it, it even was. though it's pretty yeah. obvious to us and to many of you out there. Nevertheless, explain what the entourage effect actually is. What it's saying is that if you isolate any one of the active compounds in the plant and use it on its own as a medicine, then the science is showing that it's going to be much, much less effective than using the whole plant itself. And the, and the whole plant has this amazing, uh, huge array of compounds which have many, many different healing effects. And these compounds work in conjunction with each other. Uh, you, I mean, the entourage effect, you could also call it the network effect, right? Mm. Um, because rather than having one isolated uh, action you've got a very very complex combined action with many many different players yeah. which provides a much richer result and a, a more effective healing outcome and of course uh, as was also talked about at the conference the synthetic the synthesization of some of these particular compounds like synthetic thc or cbd is problematic in a number of reasons in a number yeah. of ways because worse of this very thing yeah, worse, Less, than worse than useless yeah. yeah yeah that's right yeah so um so the, the key message was that the whole using the whole plant is really the, the most effective way of applying it yeah. the other thing in that um green layer layer six is the um, anti-inflammatory effects so that's putting out fires but it's also uh, balancing so it's shoring up your entire energy system ready for the next quantum leap or the you know the next stage in healing yes yeah yeah. yeah, and that I mean, it just to, to sort of uh, analyze the language Please. there, you know, <laughs> inflammation, right, yeah. on fire. Mm. Um, and I mean, isn't that also a, a wonderful uh, descriptor of the modern scientific industrial yeah. era? I mean, we, you know, we've been putting people on these giant flaming rockets mm. and sending them into space, for example. Yes, and uh, and to counter that, I, I love the word that was used much on the weekend, and that was infloration, yeah. the flowering, the the inflorescence, inflorescence. Of, a, of a plant, That's and right. that natural evolutionary and sacred geometrical uh, 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 unfolding yeah. of the flowers of, of plants, of the flowers of our being. For That's that right. Moment. And this Instead is of this light, is lighting things up and let's blow something up and see what happens then. And in this amazing similarity that we're seeing between the characteristics <laughs> of the, the shifting human consciousness and the nature of the, the cannabis plant and its action you know there's there's fractal layers i mean it's the mm. the flower of the plant is not just a flower is mm. it it's a combination it's a of an, like it's a yeah. it's a, a massive collection of flowers magnificent in you know in what what we call the bud it's not just a single flower it's yeah. a whole bunch of flowers working together yeah exactly very interesting you're resonating right now on future sense with steve mcdonald 
and Nick Jeans. It's uh, just coming up to 10 o'clock here on Future Sense, and we haven't mentioned the text line. Usually we get quite a few texts in. comes and goes different weeks, but if you are nearby your, your text, you're not driving, and you want to drop a question or any response to what we're talking about, please do 04373411904373411 comes up here on the computer. And just while I'm mentioning that to you, you can also check out our Twitter feed and uh, our podcasts arrive on there a couple of days after each show, and that is at Future Sense Show. We are here, myself, Nick Jeans, my co-host Steve McDonald, and our special guest this morning, Dr. Stephen Booth, and we're talking about cannabis, having all of us attended the United in Compassion Australian Medicinal Cannabis Symposium in Tweed Heads, and as you can hear, we're all a bit enamoured by, carried away with, and stimulated and excited by, uh, in, a, in quite a random way, as uh, Stephen Booth said off air, it's similar to cannabis, really, it's all sort of connected, and we just sort of jump from one thing to the other, mm-hmm. and that's okay. But let's look at about some uh, a few more specifics here, Steve. Yeah, yeah we, we um, we've got uh, notes from presentations all across the weekend. We mm. we may sound like we're jumping around a bit at times, but we'll just trawl through those and dig out a few things that are, are definitely of interest to our listener base. Mm. And uh, one of the big points that was made, of course, was the prevalence of some really bad science that's been put forward and been used to spread government pro- propaganda. Uh, trying to portray cannabis as an evil plant and something that will damage you and all this sort of stuff. And uh, a lot of those myths were busted very, very effectively by some of the world's leading medical cannabis scientists over the weekend up there at Darko and Gata Tweed Heads. And some of the things that they spoke about were the fact that because of prohibition and because of this campaign that's been running for around 110 years or so against the cannabis plant and, and our use of it, um, much of the funding that's been put forward, especially by governments, has been put forward with the specific purpose of proving things wrong yeah. with, with the plant. Yeah. And uh, and so that kind of skewed science, we're seeing a lot of that at, mm-hmm. the, uh, at the moment and over recent years, and not just in this field, but across all science, really. Um, you know, people that, who say that, well, we'll fund the research, but we'll fund the research to prove this. Yes. Yeah. And then once we get the data, we'll interpret it in a certain way with our tactical framing. And exactly, yeah. Yes, we'll inter- interpret a, a, um, a correlation as causation, for example, when it's not. Exactly, yeah. and a couple of the speakers had a wonderful slide yes. uh, to, just to make that point that just because things occur at the same time, it doesn't mean that they cause each other. Mm. And one of the main examples they used was a correlation between ice cream sales and shark attacks. Mm. And if you if you plot out you know the volume of ice cream sales during the year, of course they peak in the summertime, and the summertime the weather is warm, and some people go swimming in the ocean, and there are more shark attacks. But that doesn't mean that more ice cream sales causes more shark attacks. It might depend on the flavour. It could but be. But anyway, that's it another. That's uh, another. Uh, yeah, stay away from the strawberry. Stay away from the strawberry. That, that's a serious uh, study uh, area of uh, future study. I think. I've never, sure. I've never seen fish flavoured ice cream, but never know. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Um, market. Yeah, yeah, and so you know this, and again, this harps back to the consciousness of the modern scientific industrial era, and the fact that it itself grew out of the authoritarian agricultural era, where all information. Uh, was given by a higher authority and often that higher authority was God and so we just accepted what we were told and people in society generally always look to a higher authority to tell them what was right, what was wrong, how to live life, what's good, what's bad. And with the 
scientific re- uh, revolution in the industrial revolution we you know our mindset changed and we figured out that okay we can actually discover the truth through a process which we called science of experimentation and testing uh, to find the, the best options and the, and the facts about things and then that the modern scientific sorry the modern scientific industrial mindset being what it is and and having this idea that it could create and craft things other than, you know rather than having to rely on somebody else to to provide or tell uh, would often put its own spin on things in order to achieve whatever outcome it wanted to achieve and that of course has happened to science mm. it's it's uh, shifted the the way that science is funded and the way that science is done and people will uh, even suppress scientific yeah. results which don't fit with what they want to prove and we've yeah. seen a lot of that in the pharmaceutical industry particularly yeah. around things like antidepressants yeah. where an enormous number of the clinical trials that have been done with antidepressants haven't produced any uh, clear outcomes you know the i think in in the vast majority of them the actual antidepressant medications have performed no better than placebo yeah. uh, and many of those scientific studies were never published in journals they were kind of put in the bottom drawer and say well we won't talk about that one yeah, uh, a small and percentage of them were published and, and they weren't even particularly good and this is um in specific cases yeah um, that's right so so cannabis has been subject to that same kind of thing and and that is an issue right across science and we often talk about this on, on the show in relation to, mm. to other fields of endeavor as well and over the coming years as this paradigm shift continues and we see the emergence of more network-centric humanistic thinking from the next layer of consciousness layer six in Gross's model we're going to see uh, revelations mm. and uh, and it is going to really have a massive impact on uh, people's opinion towards science and I, I personally am predicting uh, a major major social crisis and loss of confidence in mm. science altogether over the next 10 years in particular though it is good to see having been at uh, this this symposium the the quality level and and uh, clarity of these particular scientists in this particular field um, hard to argue with where they're coming from, there, there where, how they're doing their work. Their on, work. There yeah. were some really clever scientists there, Indeed. And some um, passionate people. and yeah. um, Even in Australia, we have had some uh, great people involved, like the, the Lambert Institute seemed to be doing really yes, good work. That's and right, and, and the best of it is being, the yeah. best of it is, is science, it's new paradigm science, mm-hmm. and science yes. being done from this expanded consciousness, mm-hmm. which is taking into account you know, the network effect and all of these uh, other things. I mean, you mentioned uh, antidepressants there, we already talked about opioids, those two... Uh, mm-hmm. Um, uh, genres, so to speak, those types of drugs, what the right word is, um, for pain in particular, various types, and for mental disorders, those two are in fact the, the two major uses for medicinal cannabis anyway. Yeah, so that's mm-hmm. rather interesting there politically, and we don't even have to talk about conspiracy theories here, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? There's a lot of money involved in this, and um, yes. a natural plant like cannabis, which, uh, which can't be owned as much as they're trying to own it in various ways, uh, that actually may be more efficacious, more natural, and the entourage effect be more interesting that actually this uh, this networked plant uh, applied specifically to the specific endocannabinoid system in a particular uh, person's body with particular issues, that, that the targeted use of this in this way, it may be so efficacious that to literally wipe off the, the planet some of these uh, these legal pharmaceuticals that are, that are not doing the job very well anyway and, and we cause addictions. And uses we have like uh, preventative medicine or entheogenic use and all the other things yes. that, that are, are potential uses. Indeed. Yeah, yeah and it, you know, the pain uh, medicine industry is massive, mm. worth an awful lot of money, and uh, it itself is problematic because the, the medications that they're providing 
uh, the ma our major cause of death. And I was just reading some statistics yeah. this morning um, which said that uh, since the year 2000, and this article that I was looking at was written a couple of years ago, uh, since the year 2000, something like 200,000 Americans have died from uh, opioid overdoses. And, uh, and in one single year, uh, up to the time this article was written, it was something like 30,000 people had died. Mm. Uh, and, uh, I, I, um, and of course, prescription medications are the major cause of overdose deaths here in Australia also. Yeah. And yeah. so like medical... It's been the biggest... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, there's an argument here that medical cannabis uh, is providing a solution to that problem in that, A, it, it addresses pain, and B, it also enables the reduction of uh, opioid use and, mm. and that what we we're talking before about that sparing mm. opioid sparing opioid mechanism sparing. where yeah. very small doses of medical cannabis and very small doses of uh, opioids provide effective pain relief and neither of those on their own at those small doses would do the job but in combination they have a synergistic effect and people will go out of their way and put themselves at risk to access this stuff because it works that's mm. really saying something isn't it? that is saying something yeah and of course um john easterling who is uh, famously olivia newton don's and john's uh, husband um, made the point that you know, here in Australia, and we can only estimate the number of people who are using or who need medical cannabis at the moment because much, much of it is underground, but um, I think the estimate was that there are probably around about 30,000 uh, medical cannabis users. Could have been as high as 300,000. Yeah, that's identified legally, yeah. and, and the point was that they estimate that it's probably more likely 300,000. Yeah. It may well be larger than that. We really and only 3,000 yeah. of those, whatever that number is, are actually have legal yeah, access. Have access. And, and only a yeah. small percentage of those, actually again, get about it. a third of those, yeah. can actually um, afford to actually obtain the medicine. Yeah. So people are getting scripts, which is hard mm. enough, but then unable to fulfil them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, John, I uh, spoke at the dinner we had at, over the weekend at the symposium, and, and made the point that you know if if that figure is correct, and there are three hundred thousand patients in Australia who need access to medical cannabis, then the uh, the government system that's been put in place is is currently supplying about three of them, <laughs> mm. uh, you know, which is ridiculous. And it, it's it was the other thing that became really clear over the weekend is that the process that has been put together by the Australian government for the introduction of medical cannabis has really been designed to fail. I mean, it's compared to what's happening overseas, it's a ridiculously bureaucratic mm. uh, system which is full of obstacles. Mm. It's not working mm. uh, very well at all, and it really has been designed to fail. And, and it's very hard to resist thinking that, oh, okay, well, Australia is one of the largest suppliers of um, you know, opium Poppy mm -hmm. products. In fact, the only three countries in the world that are legally allowed to grow medicinal op um, opium poppies are Australia, India, and Turkey, which I just we just discovered this morning. So obviously, there's a very large investment in the legal growing of poppies for opiates, and uh, both in this country and around the world. So yeah, there's there's a lot of money involved there. There's a big crop somewhere they could find. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and clearly, medical cannabis. If if I mean, if you're an executive in one of these big pharmaceutical companies, you would see medical cannabis as a major, major threat mm. to your market. Mm. You know, I mean, yeah. something that not only replaces the pharmaceutical pain relief medications, but also is instrumental in allowing people to reduce their use of those mm. things. It just is a massive business threat. You know, in mm. terms of profits. Well, we saw frustrated doctors over the weekend who had their patients on eleven or more 
pharmaceutical products for a range of different um, conditions and symptoms that would have uh, or could have, may have been treatable with cannabis. Absolutely, and I've got a slide up here from one of the talks over the weekend, uh, which just looks at the various conditions in clinical practice that medical cannabis is, cannabis is being used to address, and this is in rank order in terms of the most common down to the least common, and, and the, the by far the most common application of medical cannabis globally is for pain relief. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about it, it stands out. And then uh, second is uh, for cancers. And interestingly, uh, they had a panel of you know some of these very senior researchers from around the world, and uh, David Caldicott, the MC, asked them to give a rating between one and 10 as to how confident they were that cannabis could or may at some time in the future Mm. be proven to cure cancer. And the general feeling was to to give it a score of around two out Mm. of 10. So there's not a lot of... um, not a lot of evidence, uh, in fact, bugger all evidence, that cannabis cures cancer. Some of the studies that have been done have been for um, adjunctive therapies around cancer, like yes. therapy treatment causing uh, nausea and so on, and it's shown to be very effective in those cases. Extre- extremely, yeah. Yeah. extremely effective. For, and, and for the pain, of course. Yeah, yeah. so for you know, um, addressing associated symptoms, but in terms of actually yeah, curing uh, cancer, c- curing yeah, cancer it's, yeah, it's still very early yeah. days in terms of our understanding there. And one of the doctors, uh, I think it was uh, Dr. Hergen rather maybe, uh, from San Francisco was saying that you know in his private practice he's treated probably about 400 cancer patients over the space of many, many years. I think he said something like 20 something years. Time, yeah. uh, and uh, they had been given medical cannabis for their cancer and none of them survived the cancer. So they, I mean that's, that's pretty telling. Yeah. Uh, and yet uh, it, it's proving to be extremely useful in addressing, you know, associated symptoms yes. uh, from pain cancer. and anxiety and uh, fear of end of life and all everything really. Yeah, all sorts of things, you know, and, and reducing the impact of um, uh, radiation. Yeah, nausea. One of the uh, slides that you sent us regarding this, I think, from the Lambert Initiative. Uh, talks about the, uh, and so it's a quite a lot, a lot of information here, but just the summary is that the total Australian health system saving of bringing cannabis, medicinal cannabis online over time would be $1.2 to $1.3 billion a year, growing to 3 to $3.2 billion per year by 2045 for palliative and chronic pain care with ageing, particularly with the ageing of baby boomers. So, um, you know, there's a, a massive saving. That's right, uh, yeah. All, all we need is a, is a forward-thinking uh, politician, mm. you know, who thinks further ahead than the next election. And a big part of the issue here is, you know, let, let's be clear, is that the, the mindset associated with uh, many of our, our politicians and the way they approach their work uh, is really one from the old paradigm, which is the, the modern scientific industrial way, uh, which tend to, tends to think in much shorter time frames. You know, as we look at these um, swings and the movement between uh, evolutionary paradigms, they alternate between individually oriented, where the motivation is to want to change the world, and those always think in short periods of mm-hmm. time because they really want to change the world now. And then the communal paradigms, which we're moving to right at the moment, uh, generally think in much, much longer terms and also, um, you know, are interested in changing themselves to fit with what the world needs. And there were uh, some green, green politicians at the event. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, yeah, Richard Di Natale was there and uh, also um, Fiona Patton. 
Uh, both of them were, were very active and spoke mm. at different times and participated in discussion panels and things. And I, I just might skip back to this list of conditions that medical cannabis is being applied for. So um, pain, number one, cancers, number two, mental disorders, number three, anxiety, yes. PTSD, ADD, all kinds of mental disorders, which for some people I know will be counterintuitive mm. because, again, this is one of the myths that was busted on the weekend was that cannabis causes mental conditions. Mm. And really the, what the science is saying, and this is the, the best science that anybody has act to, access to globally, really, with, uh, that was being presented on the weekend, is that uh, in the case of schizophrenia, if somebody ha is predisposed, in other words, they have some underlying uh, schizophrenic condition that hasn't presented itself, then the use of cannabis can... Uh, can, can bring on the, um, the pre-existing... Um the, the symptoms that might have occurred later on. Yeah, yes. exactly. And I think the um, complexity of the plant as well, because you can have cannabis isn't one thing. Um, you can have a sedating type of cannabis, That's or a yeah. that is uh, right. uh, will reduce anxiety, and or one that can make you more alert. You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. we talked about the terpenes before, and you mentioned the limonene, and limonene can do exactly it can lighten you up and make you alive again. But if you have the and terpene, terpene that's associated well, yeah. with uh, with things like um, lavender, yes, uh, which can also be found, yeah. then suddenly you you'll find yourself uh, yeah. relaxing and possibly falling asleep. Yeah, yeah. Um, good point, Steve. That that was uh, really clear in the research that's coming out of Israel, where they're doing a very very detailed mapping of uh, various uh, chemovars, as they call them, so, uh, which are essentially chemical varieties of the plant. Yes. You um, can't say species of cannabis. It's no, not no, the protein. You can say chemovars. That's right, apparently. Yeah. It's, uh, well, not, well, not species, but strains. Strains. The word. Yeah, they, Thank some, you. One of the researchers made Thank the point you. that it's very, we very commonly talk about different cannabis strains, but in a technical scientific sense, they're not actually different strains. Uh, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think they said there are really only two strains, which is the uh, sativa and indica. And, mm. and possibly the hemp strain, uh, uh, sorry, hemp uh, species as well. But now that's becoming less relevant because uh, we are uh, interbreeding, I suppose, you could say, the the various species and strains or chemovars yeah. to create new ones and more selective. Uh, so we'll have a big library of different um, plant compounds. That's that right. And they also spoke about what they called land races, mm. which is where you take the same plant and put it in a different country under different environmental conditions. Because it's and such it'll an develop, adaptive plant. It'll yeah. adapt. Yeah, to, they, they, yeah. they talked about the plasticity of, of the, um, the plant uh, uh, makeup that you can, yeah, you can change it yeah, very easily. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and the, the point I was working towards there was that... Um, one of the things that's complicating the research is that you can get such a, a massive difference from one plant to the next uh, and one chemovar to the next and yes, yes, you know, yes. different content levels of the different cannabinoids and terpenes. Yeah. And so what they're finding in the research is that a certain plant is good for certain medical conditions, but you take a, a different plant and it actually doesn't work, mm. but it will work for other things. Yeah. And, and so, for different people as well, because those are just tendencies for different individuals with different yes. um, endocannabinoid receptor levels. Yes. That uh, those same plants will work differently for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there are so many different variables. So, um, you know, the, the number and type of different cannabinoid receptors mm. that the individual has, the different enzymes in the body which are associated with the metabolism of uh, the various compounds, um, the fact that the plants themselves can have different levels mm. in, uh, and uh, of, of the cannabinoids and terpenes and so we're going to be acting in different ways on the receptors and and you know with the enzymes that you have in your body so what it's leading us towards really is uh, 
very customized individual oriented mm. medicine which i think is is mm. probably the next step i mean this uh, change yeah. that we've been talking about in the science and the ap medical application which is very network centric and looking at how things are connected how they talk to each other and how when we work with all of the different individual parts of the system we can affect the system much more yeah. um, yes. with, with much greater impact and bring bring balance and this is a very layer six postmodern uh, perspective on science and then I, I think the customization thing I'm not sure if it's going to come. It's more likely to come in an individually oriented yeah. paradigm, because it's about individual customization, yeah. and we're, so we're probably going to see that emerge on scale with this big leap to second tier consciousness yeah. and, and layer seven, which is individually oriented. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing some things in the uh, recreational area in, in the US where yeah. uh, the recreational cannabis, the branding of it is becoming very specific. You know, you'll have this, the skaters brand or you'll have the um, you know, musicians branding. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Absolutely. it's becoming more individual again now. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I think what I've seen is in, in late stage uh, scientific industrial thinking, we've seen some mm. of this fairly sophisticated individual customization mm. emerging, and you know the next big wave of that ought to come mm. with the, the mm. seventh layer, very yeah. specific and individual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and also the, the other thing that ought to be unlocked when we make this leap to second tier is the the multi-dimensional, mm. interdimensional aspects of medicine, yes, where we're actually entheogenic aspects and beyond. Yes, mm. yeah. Um, while I think of it too, when you're talking about the specificity of the plant and the the quality and so forth. What was also interesting to all of us was uh, what was revealed that the cannabis plant also, like many other plants, but certainly particularly this plant, has the capacity and does uh, draw up from the soil uh, heavy metals or other impurities that are in the soil. So this brings the whole issue of where you grow and how you grow it, especially when it's coming down to medicinal cannabis, to the fore. I think that was very important. As we know, the soil quality on the plant is pretty screwed anyway. Yeah. But when it comes to cannabis, it, uh, and we talk about medicinal, and in fact, if people are smoking the stuff, it's kind of important to know what sort of soil that plant has been What's grown in. That? Mm. That, that's yeah. right. And, and again, this is another one of the confounders of the science mm. is uh, looking at, okay, um, you know, this is the plant that we used in this particular medical study, but and then doing an analysis on anything that mm. undesirable that might actually be in the plant, like pesticides, heavy mm. metals, and those sorts of things, yeah. which we're starting to think about. And uh, there was, of course, a lot of discussion about the permission to grow your own medicine in your backyard issue. And, and I think everybody was, in a very general sense, supportive of that, but also... Um, What's your soil like? You know, the, the, yeah, the, the scientists made the point that um, really, uh, and, and actually in practice, a lot of the people who are who are really sick and using medical cannabis at the moment, most of them don't really want to grow their own stuff because they're sick, you mm. know, and so they've, they've got better things to do. And so there is a, a strong argument for the medical standardization mm. and the production of plants you know, that are grown under very set conditions, known chemovars, mm. so we really know what we're getting and then we can specialise the application of certain plant chemovars to treat certain things and knowing what we're getting and being able to control the dosage more effectively and, and knowing the, that they're not contaminated. There were people there talking about the responsiveness of the plants to an individual as well, so you might be able to sit with your plants and have them uh, communicate with you. Yeah, um, oh, yes, we'll come back to that too. We'll, we'll come back to that, yeah. Back to that. yeah, yeah cool. just, I know Nick's uh, itching yeah. to press buttons mm -hmm. and make things happen yeah, yeah. here, but just, just one more point <laughs> before we, we do that, is that uh, in our region here, in the Byron region, it's an old banana-growing region, and the soil is 
greatly contaminated mm. in many mm -hmm. parts mm. of the Brunswick mm. Valley with all of those chemicals that yeah. were sprayed. And even, like, I, I came into the area roughly about 10 years ago, and there was still crop dust of spraying banana crops close to Mullumbimby at, at that that's time. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so that that's something to be aware of um, yeah. if you did want to try this at home and grow your own plant is just be wary what whatever the you know what you're putting the, the plant in in terms of soil and the potential contamination and it's a very good plant for sucking up contaminants mm. from the soil mm. and then you again ingest that if you're not careful it's so. a good argument for regulation isn't it absolutely yeah. it is yeah for all of you out there strangers in a strange land you're grokking future sense here on bay fm you are tuned to Future Sense, and you're with Steve McDonald, myself, Nick Jeans, and Dr. Stephen Booth, our special guest here this morning. We're talking about the cannabis uh, uh, symposium that we we're all at over the weekend for from Thursday through. And uh, we will come back to your text too. There's quite a few of them now. We'll come back at the end of the show because we still want to cover some of the uh, other things that we wanted to do. Steve, you want to? Yeah, we've just got a massive amount of, amount of uh, information. interesting information from this mm. conference and, and not enough time to really get through it all. But mm. I just I started a couple of times to go through this list of conditions that were reported as being the the most common things that medical cannabis is uh, consumed for. And I'm just going to run through the whole list now really quickly. And this is from the most common application, which is pain. Uh, through to the less common ones, but and they're in rank order of, of uh, commonality of usage. So pain, cancers, mental disorders, gastrointestinal disorders, insomnia, autoimmune disorders. Uh, in one uh, line here, we've got epilepsy, autism, Tourette's, dystonia, tics and tremors, and then neurodegenerative disorders, uh, things like fibromyalgia, dementia, migraine headaches, uh, harm reduction as an alternative to opioid use, spastic disorders, glaucoma, skin diseases, AIDS and other infections. Mm. So um, that's very, very broad as you can see there. And um, the same presenter talked about optimising the clinical effects of, uh, of the medicine and the key variables that need to be considered and controlled are the method of administration, the frequency of use and the dosage, the different ratios of the various compounds and and they in very very simplistic terms they've sort of come up with three types of cannabis and that is thc heavy um, balanced thc cbd content and then cbd heavy mm -hmm. and that, that's a massive generalization mm -hmm. because i think that you know as i said there's 144 mm -hmm. and probably more that they haven't discovered yet different cannabinoid mm -hmm. compounds in the plant so not to um, mention the terpenes but that's a good uh, basic analysis yeah just, just, just all those three uh, just basic sections, simple yeah. simplified generalization mm -hmm. Uh, another key variable is uh, the nature of the THC, whether it's carboxylated or decarboxylated. So in its natural form in the plant, uh, it's actually an acid, THCA, and then through the application of heat, it can be uh, decarboxylated, which means a little bit of the molecule flies mm. off and uh, it actually makes it into THC as we know it. Mm. Uh, and, and I think there are some conditions where THCA is more effective than THC, and mostly THC is seen as the most effective variant of the compound. There are definitely different effects between THC and CBD heavy. Um, CBD tends to be used for more anti-inflammatory type effects um, because the receptors are in different places. Um, the CBD type is usually an immune type um, conditions that it might be given for uh, where the THC is more central nervous system and um, has more mental effects. Yeah. yeah. 
um, spoke about methods of administration uh, when smoked and vaporized um, the bioavailability can vary greatly actually um, and but it's generally there's there's less of the compounds getting into your system through smoking as compared to uh, some other methods of administration, but uh, a much much faster action though. That's much the, faster much action. That's the balance. That's the, yeah. the trade-off. Yeah, mm, the trade-off. Yeah. Almost an instant it action. Depends on your uh, smoking ability if you're going to inhale or hold uh, it in. Or yeah, it's skill-based thing. That's yeah. right. The, the presenter said, you know, it's very hard to really give accurate information because there are so many variables. Mm. And as you said, it depends on how you smoke it. Like mm. if you're an experienced smoker and you know how to kind of you know hold it in for a while mm. and you're comfortable with doing that, but if you cough and splutter and don't get much of the smoke down, then it's not going to be effective, yeah. is it? Um, but and that was the other thing, uh, that, and there was a whole section of the conference which was looking at uh, potential harms, you know, and what the science is saying about that. And one of the clear things that came out is that there is no substantial link that's been established between smoking cannabis and lung cancer. No, basically, they're saying it's just not not an issue. It doesn't happen. Well, it has a history of use for. Um bronchodilatory effects and yeah. um, vasodilator and uh, use for asthma and, and yes yeah yeah that's right fact, was, was it yeah. Queen Victoria that was uh, administered she was, uh, for, for, uh, oh, for menstrual pains yeah. yeah. but some others have also yeah. been given for asthma too so yeah yeah mm. and the, the only medical condition that has been clearly identified through for good science uh, that might result from smoking is an increase in mucus in the throat mm. Mm. which if it builds up can lead to a cough mm. uh, but the or mixing it with um, tobacco uh, well, yeah, yeah mixing yeah, that's a completely yeah. different story. Yeah, yeah. And then you start or, or to alcohol or you, you suffer the yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously effects. you suffer yeah. the harms of tobacco in that case. Yeah. But, yeah. but in in the case of smoking uh, cannabis on its own, basically they said it's quite safe. Oh, uh, it, it may for your produce civil liberties. what's that? Except maybe for your civil yeah, liberties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except, except from a legal point of view. <laughs> um, and they said, you know, even if you do develop mucus and a cough from it, just simply by stopping for a while. And uh, you can, that will be resolved, and then mm. you can, you know, get back at it again. Mm. So they say. Um, and uh, another interesting thing was that um, there is some um, ad adaptation that happens. So uh, and and so your. Uh, your response to a particular dose of cannabis may change over time as your body gets used to it. And they were saying that it's very easy to reset your system just by stopping mm. for a few days. Mm. And, and very, very quickly, the endocannabinoid receptor system resets itself and then it's like you're starting afresh again just in, after a short break. In, in general, that was a therapeutic approach. It was just common sense, you know, start low, go slow. If it's working, add more. If it's not, stop. That kind of thing. That's um, right. Yeah. And that was yeah. the that was the yeah. sort of yeah. mantra, wasn't it? Yeah. That cannabis is a slow medicine. Yes. And uh, the idea is to start with small doses, mm. and if you don't get a response, then yep. slowly increase the yeah, dosage. Increase the dosage and, yep. and because of the massive variation from one plant to the next, and the difficulty in working out, you know, what is actually in each particular mm. individual plant, uh, then that titration process mm. is recommended by all of these very experienced practitioners that were speaking at the conference. Is start small and just slowly increase the dose over time mm. until you get the required for the, um, high THC compounds. Um, for people that had never tried anything like that before, they might be put off if they are getting a psychoactive effect. So yeah. they start slower and, and yeah, yeah that's right. slowly increase. Let's move on uh, last last little bit of the show. Today is 25 minutes to 11. Coming up, of course, at 11 o'clock is pregnancy, birth and beyond. Um, let's move a little bit to the legality, to the regulations and that whole area, which was talked about, of course, a lot 
at the conference because there's a, a great deal of frustration, not only, as we've already said, the, the many uh, people out there, patients who are seeking to use medicinal cannabis in one form or the other and the, the loopholes uh, that they've got to jump through to get to that point. But the researchers themselves and the scientists who, with all the evidence on the table, clearly go, well, there is something seriously wrong here. There's a disjunct between uh, what is clearly uh, research-driven, good science, and the uh, the very slow, if not uh, glacial, response of, uh, of the regulatory, reg- regulatory bodies and, and politics. Um, there's a slide you've got here from uh, the Lambert Driving Study, uh, well, it's just generally from Ian McGregor, the Lambert Institute, which looks at the barriers to cannabis research. Um, and a couple of these here, specific regulatory barriers, including the classification of cannabis as a Schedule One substance, we'll come back to that, that impede the advancement of cannabis and cannabinoid research. Two, it's often difficult, as you've also alluded to, Steve, for researchers to gain access to the quantity, quality, and type of cannabis product necessary to address specific research questions on the health effects of cannabis use. Three, a diverse network of funders is needed to support cannabis and cannabinoid research that explores the beneficial and harmful health effects of cannabis use, if there are any. And lastly, to develop conclusive evidence for the effects of cannabis use on short and long-term health outcomes, improvements and standardisation in research methodology, including those used in controlled trials and observational studies, are all needed. Um, yeah. Yeah. One, one of the confounding issues, particularly in the USA, is the only place that you can get legal plant material is from NIDA, the uh, National Institute of um, Drug Abuse. Mm. So they're the only ones who legally grow and provide to researchers, and they're really, really bad at growing cannabis. And yeah, so there were some reports um, by some researchers saying it was just such poor quality. It's and, really and shitty. Maybe even mouldy and a yeah. few things, you know. It's, yeah, uh, and, and so that obviously affects the research mm-hmm. outcome. So it's just another way that the, the science has been skewed in the, mm-hmm. in the wrong direction. Now, some of the presenters are talking about a new regulationary, regulatory body, aside from the Therapeutic Goods Administration, the TGA, which administers all of these things in Australia, and similarly to the FDA in America. Uh, can you flesh that out a little bit, what, what was talked about, about this new, the new potential for a regulatory body that, to look after cannabis? Yeah, I think the, the key thing is that everyone agrees that the TGA is not equipped to manage the introduction of medi- medical cannabis adequately, and we really need an independent regulatory independent body. advisor, if not a regulator. Yeah, that's, that understands the nature of medical cannabis, and uh, you know, the point was made that it's really not a drug, uh, you know, unless you extract uh, some compounds mm. from the plant itself and make a drug, it's actually a medicinal yeah, plant. It's yeah, it's, it's a herbal medicine. Yeah, uh, it's a herbal medicine, and it needs to be treated as such. You know, it's not, it, it shouldn't be regulated in the same way that, that a pharmaceutical drug yeah, is regulated. And there's a double standard in, in the research as well. You know, if, if it was any other drug, it would be approved. Yeah. No, that's right. And, and this is very clear also in the uh, legal issues around um, random drug testing. Mm. In, you know, of drivers is that yeah. it's being cannabis is Singled being out, treated yeah. differently than other mm. medicinal drugs. I mean, if you look at uh, benzodiazepines, for example, yep. most people would know those as, as uh, under brand names like Valium. Um, you can take a Valium and go driving, and you don't have to worry about no. the police pulling you but over you and, and uh, charging you yeah. with a criminal offence because you've got Valium in your yeah. system, and yet it impacts your um, capacity mm. to operate mm. machinery you know there are warnings on the mm. on the pamphlet in the packet saying don't operate heavy machinery uh, and so why should 
cannabis be treated any different than these other drugs? You know, you can dose yourself silly on opioids mm. and then get in your car and go driving and you're not going to get pulled over and charged with a criminal offence. You know, why, why do medical cannabis users, uh, you know, yeah, get subjected to different sense. laws, different mm. approaches? It's just not fair. And, and the uh, relevance of uh, concentrations of THC in the blood to impairment mm. just uh, are non-existent. That, well, this, this is the thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's complex. I mean, you can have THC in your blood and not have e, ha, be impaired, not, mm. not having even smoked mm. it or in, in, taken it in in any form whatsoever for several days or weeks even in some cases. And so there's, it's a very complica- complicated equation. There were several examples cited of where using medical cannabis could actually improve your driving. Yes. For instance, if you were taking it for severe pain, and you were driving around with severe pain, you might be more impaired than if you didn't have that pain. Yeah, exactly. And interestingly, the the Lambert Initiative is planning a new driving study which is going to focus on whether the use of cannabis improves your driving mm. skills. And, and and there's obviously a case for that based on the research they've mm. done so far. So it's really interesting. It is indeed. Uh, although we do hes- uh, hesitate to add, as, was, as you mentioned earlier, to the combination of... Uh, of uh, cannabis and alcohol is uh, mm. clearly and not a good combination for driving. Exactly, and yeah. Is yeah. impaired, just get off the roads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and, so, and that, yeah. that was a really strong message that came through was that uh, those two things, cannabis and alcohol, don't play well together yeah. Yeah. and they'll really mess you up. So it's, yeah, yeah it's... it's uh, and whatever you're impaired with, if you're impaired with your emotional state or any consumption of anything, just get off the road, please. Thank, thank yeah. you, Doctor. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's, true. That, that's my advice. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it would be great, and they did talk about it. And of course, it's very, it's, it's, it's uh, scientifically out of uh, out of reach at the moment. The notion of how do you measure impairment on THC in a person? If you were to do some sort of testing on the roadside, and 97,000 mobile drug tests are done from uh, 2017. The New South Wales government increased it by. Uh, three times at that time so nine nine nearly a hundred thousand mobile drug testing units are out there in Australia so it's, it's gonna it's not going to go away and we're seeing all sorts of uh, problems with with uh, charging someone over this issue so how do you actually come to a science where you can actually measure impairment of this particular substance probably not easily it's extremely problematic yeah. uh, according to uh, mm. Professor McGregor and he, some really interesting stuff is coming out of their driving studies, which will be of interest to our listeners. One of them was that uh, in terms of THC levels uh, that are detectable by their, the saliva testing mm-hmm. units that the police have, there's a particular spike uh, around about the 15-minute mark after you um, vaporise, in this case, mm-hmm. the graph I'm looking at. Uh, and then it rapidly drops away. So um, in the next 60, hour or so, in the yeah. next hour or mm. so, and then from around about four to six hours after uh, smoking or vaping, it the levels normally drop below uh, detectable levels according to the testing kits mm. that are being used in New South Wales in particular. And the method of about. ingestion really affects those detectable levels in the saliva. Yes. If you took a sublingual uh, dosage or one of the spray type um, applicators that you could show your full dosage as your um, detectable amount in your saliva but if you were to encapsulate your dosage and swallow it so it never touched your mouth um, you would not show any THC where you might actually have a very high um, blood concentration. Yeah and the other point that he made was that in the case Mm. of edibles you can uh, consume an edible Mm. and 
you can actually be quite heavily affected by mm. it in terms of your oh, yes, you know, yeah. capacity to operate machinery, yeah. and yet your THC levels in the blood are actually quite low. In, in the saliva. In, yeah. in, that, in yeah. that case. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and mm. zero in the saliva. Mm. Yeah. yeah, zero in the saliva. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so he, I think he, he was talking about people doing that, like putting oil, for example, in a capsule. Mm. So you consume it, there's no oil residue left in your mouth, mm. and you, you get the full effect of the the uh, medical cannabis and uh, doesn't show up in a saliva test. Mm. Very complex, complex stuff indeed. Yeah. Uh, we'll just come to some of these texts quickly that you've sent in, folks. Thanks for that. Uh, someone was written in a little while ago. Great, about time. This has been known for many eons. And the question is, so is Bay FM going to support this medicine? Uh, I think probably overall most people in this station would support uh, the, the proper use and, uh, of uh, medicinal cannabis, I'm sure. And sponsorship announcements and stop supporting the neurotoxin alcohol and playing sponsorships announcements for such. I'm not sure where we do alcohol stuff, but perhaps that happens occasionally. Um, so thanks for that. Another text here, the blocking of cannabis by closed-minded political members, I believe, is the polis getting on their self-righteous beliefs. Mm. Uh, those polis might open their minds to truly research the benefits of their, if their loved one were life-threateningly sick, these polis should suck on lemons as it might make them sweeter. Mm. Certainly be more awake if you there, suck on lemons. There was an example of um, someone in a high-ranking position that had family... Uh, affected and mm. had uh, been in support, but just not publicly, and and actually spoke out against cannabis, um, yeah, which is really disappointing and and confounding. Yes, indeed. We're talking about uh, cancer prevention. Uh, there's no direct proof of that, as Steve was elucidating before, but uh, someone has written in and said it's probably more of a cancer prevention because pre cancer prevention because if the oil helps the body to have less pain and sleep better than than that, then that's a win-win. Of course, that's true. Yeah, I think that's quite true. And, and uh, one of the other things that came out over the weekend is that uh, cannabis has a neuroprotective effect, oh, which yeah. is very interesting. Mm. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, someone has said also, also uh, don't forget the world is flat. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And uh, and someone said um, about, uh, I guess we're talking about Mm, the the little harm that generally was presented at the uh, at the conference and when I say little harm there was certainly research to suggest that certain situations we touched we touched on a couple of those today that if you have a psychological problem particularly if you you're young it might exacerbate a, a pre-existing condition so that's clear but there are, there are others but generally speaking the research was incredibly positive but someone's written in actually that's not quite true there is a medically diagnosed allergy to cannabis called a cannabinoid hyper mists or something like yep. that leads to profuse form for days, a client of uh, this person's had it. Great show, though. Hypogrammasis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, that's true. Of course, there are isolated conditions. We're, we're talking in very general terms. The, the immediate treatment for that as well is to use uh, black peppercorns or the oh, yes. extract from peppers. Um, yes. I love the peppercorn, the, uh, yeah. the, pe the peppercorn uh, uh, terpene. It's an exciting mm. component. I thought I love that because I love I love black pepper myself. You know, there's and I just have a slide in front of me just randomly here. Um, an autism patient. You know, our child had a thirty percent improvement with cannabis. We have never had the success with conventional medication. The improvement was apparent to both the special needs teacher and the teacher aide, and he got along really well with his cousins at a family outing and had no impulsive outbreaks. I mean, seriously, yeah, this is this beautiful. is a big movement yeah. here. These kind of real, really serious issues of our time. It is interesting, and in those sorts of behavioural uh, conditions, 
interestingly, you know, that the general feeling that you have when you consume mm. cannabis is that everything slows down and mm. everything's kind of more chilled. And then, then that is the result of, you know, synaptic changes mm. uh, whereby the endocannabinoids are moderating uh, the neurotransmitters, which might normally create an excited condition that causes somebody to act impulsively. And with the use of the medical cannabis, you know, the whole system is just being uh, stabilized and slowed down. And in the case of, you know, things like uh, autism, autism and, yeah. and ADHD. And what an improvement in quality of life, yeah. not just the patient, but everyone around yeah, as exactly. well. You know? Yeah. Someone's also just written in about impairment. And this is a good point. We can learn a lot from impairment approaches that are implemented by the US and Colorado police. We'll have to look into that. Thanks for mm. that. Uh, no doubt they're a lot, a lot further along than we are. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. It's uh, 10.52 here and uh, you're tuned to Future Sense and uh, myself, Nick Jeans, Steve McDonald and our special guest, Dr. Stephen Booth. We're in the last few moments before pregnancy, birth and beyond uh, and talking today about uh, medicinal cannabis. And one other text has come in, very important question, T- tuning in late, so maybe you've covered it, but what about youth brain being damaged by THC? Also, that youth will likely take too much with a child. This is my concern. Good question. See if we can look at some of those last minutes. Some yeah, of those, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read from some slides that were mm. presented by Dr. Donald Abrams, who's a yeah. professor of clinical medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. And um, and certainly, like from a, a developmental psychology point of view, a Gravesian point, point of view, it is fair to say that during those teenage developmental years, it is predictable that um, both males and females will have difficulty moderating behaviours because that moderation capacity comes from the final development of the frontal lobes, which doesn't usually occur until into the 20s. So it's normal for kids to be overdoing things and not know when to stop and not think about cause and effect, okay? And and certainly they need guidance around that, there's no doubt. So um, let me just randomly uh, read through. Just on that question, it sounded like it might have been about recreational use as well, not medicinal use. And a lot of medicinal use is for even very young children who might have epilepsy. That's right. And you also have to, you have to distinguish between the potential, um, you know, biological Logical impact in terms mm. of like a, a, a you know impact on uh, biological yeah. functioning mm. versus uh, social impact. Mm. And if like if somebody's smoking weed, mm. then they're probably just going to feel like sitting around at home mm. and relaxing, right? And they're not going to be you know rushing out and being too social. But that's mm. a behavioural issue. It's not a you know a retardation or development mm. issue that's necessarily. Right. Yes. Um, so a few quick facts from slides here in the last few moments of the show. Um, there's uh, limited evidence. Uh, yeah, hang on. Sorry, sorry. A lot of the science uh, that was presented um, was presented in the context of there being really limited evidence for a lot of the, the common sort of arguments which are put out there in terms of damage to development, those sorts of things. Um, and and science being science, like true science is never finished. Okay, science is always an open question, and all we can say is okay. Right at the moment, the evidence that we have so far is that you know there's it's, there's limited evidence. There's not much evidence at all to support mm. some of these ideas. Yes. Uh, in the area of prenatal, perinatal, and neonatal outcomes, smoking cannabis during pregnancy is linked to lower birth weight in the infant. Usually, that birth weight is recovered quite quickly after birth, um, yes. and. Uh, 
the relationship between smoking cannabis during pregnancy and other pregnancy and childhood outcomes is unclear. In other words, mm. there's no clear evidence. For there was a study else. from Jamaica, I think, with 12,000 pregnant women that looked at this. And as you said, uh, sm a smaller birth weight, but that was caught up within, within, I think, three months. And the interesting thing is longer term, those children whose uh, mothers had smoked cannabis during pregnancy uh, tended to have a slightly higher IQ later on in life. So mm. that's a rather that's a sort of contraindication to that. To don't, don't sort of jump out and start smoking, mm. no, just on that. Some of the systematic reviews had to exclude some of that data because the um, person overseeing it, the supervisor, said that that, uh, that they were earth mothers. You couldn't count those mothers because they're not, not your average population. <laughs> oh, they're <laughs> earth mothers. Priority, God know, bless them. Quickly back to my, <laughs> yes, my list of things. Go right. Uh, psychosocial stuff. Um, recent cannabis use impairs the performance in cognitive domains of learning, memory, and attention. I think we all uh, probably have a general idea that that happens. Mm. Uh, recent use may be defined as cannabis use within 24 hours. Uh, and of course, that's not uh, a lasting effect. It's just a temporary effect. Yeah. Uh, a limited number of studies suggest there are impairments in cognitive domains of learning, memory, and attention in individuals who have stopped smoking cannabis. Uh, so that's kind of interesting. I guess the thing there is don't stop like cannabis. Mm -hmm. um, cannabis use during adolescence is related to impairments in subsequent academic achievement and education, employment and outcome, and social relationships and social roles. Uh, and uh, again, I'd suggest that they are probably behavioural issues that result from the impact of, of being high uh, in terms of you know not wanting not bothering to study not wanting to sit and focus and those sorts of things if you're yeah. uh, if you're high mm. that, that's also a reason why some people use it is to improve their studying improve their capacity and lateral thinking or um, movement ability i know people go to the gym using it and absolutely and, and we know and we talk yeah. regularly on this show about uh, the usefulness of altered states in terms mm -hmm. of bringing different perspectives uh, mental health there is um, substantial evidence of a statistical association between cannabis use and the development of schizophrenia or other psychoses mm. with the highest risk amongst the most frequent users. And uh, mm. as we said before, that they, they did make the point at the conference that this uh, is related to some kind of pre-existing but not evident condition in the individual and yeah. the fact that the cannabis use can make it come out. So it, so they're not saying that uh, it's, it's creating these conditions in people, but just that it's likely to make it emerge if it hasn't emerged yet. Mm. Um, how are we going for time, Nick? Um, that's it, really. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of minutes before. Yeah. So much good Lots material. More. But we'll post a lot of these things uh, on our Future Sense, at Future Sense Show, at Future Sense Show Twitter account and various other places. And you'll be able to li listen to the podcast in a couple of days too, but lots more to talk about. And yeah. we'll no doubt not finish talking about this subject mm -hmm. uh, in the future anyway. I'm sure we'll mention it again. Yeah, we will. Uh, thanks very much, Steve McDonald, and uh, our special guest, Stephen Booth. Thanks for having me Steve back. Booth. Yeah, thank Great. you. Thank any, you any time at all, my friend. Mm. Any time at all. We'll see you soon. See you next week. Bye-bye. Cheers. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on BayFM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.